This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. And while you're listening to this, I'm actually in Colombia and Meredith is in. Where are you, Meredith? I am a week and a half into a trip to New Zealand. And we can't quite figure out if we're speaking to you from the future or the past. (laughs) But either way, we wanted to rerun one of our favourite episodes of Women Who Travel, which is when we sat down with Jen Rubio, one of the co-founders of Away Luggage, to talk about how she created this absolutely fantastic brand that you see all over every airport, all over the place. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to come listen to us live, you can find us on March 11th in Austin. We will be recording an episode with the incredible Liz Lambert at Holy Roller. You can find all of the information in the Facebook group. And we hope to see you there. Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveler that digs deep into the realities of traveling as a woman today and celebrates while we'll never stay home. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello, everyone. And joining us today is Jen Rubio, co-founder of Away Luggage, which I will very biasly say is a traveler favorite. (laughs) Founded in 2015, the brand has become the face of, I would say, millennial travel. There are celebrity collaborations, pop-up stores, hundreds of thousands of suitcases have been sold, and $50 million were raised in the latest round of funding for the company. It goes without saying that Jen is one of the women shaping the travel landscape today, and we are so thrilled to have her here. Hello, Jen. Hi, it's so good to be here. You know, every time someone does one of those intros, it's like the only time I take a step back and think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, we did all of we that. We did this thing. That's so crazy. <laughs> this was all me. And so you co-founded Away with Steph Corey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'd love to hear like a little bit of the origin story before we kind of get into everything else. How did the idea come to you? To did you see like a gap in the market that made you like were you frustrated with something and you were like we want to fix this yeah yeah that's exactly it I think a lot of people see what we've we've been able to do with the help of our team and think you know they must have always wanted to be founders or like we must have had this passionate dream to be in the luggage space and neither of those things are true I was living in London at the time and I was. I was actually trying to figure out a way to stay there, but my visa had expired. And uh, Steph was in business school and and my luggage broke and I was trying to find a good replacement and everything out there was either super expensive, but like pretty or more affordable, but you knew it would break. And there was just nothing in the market. I mean, for me, I don't know about you guys, my friends are like the 
big recommenders and they have suggestions for everything. And when I asked people what luggage I should buy, everyone was like, I don't know, just just don't get mine. And I thought that was, um, I thought it was really telling that, you know, travel is something that everyone does, whether it's for work or for fun. And your luggage is something you take with you on every trip. And, and until we started away, it really just felt like an afterthought. So um, we kind of just explored that gap in the market. And now, three and a half years later, we have a way. That's too funny because I actually, when I started here, I was still using the luggage that I had gotten as a present in the in the eighth grade that is brown with blue polka dots. Very easy to find on the conveyor belt, but not exactly like traveler appropriate. So I would come into the office before trips with my hiking backpack because I was like more comfortable <laughs> walking into this building with a full hiking, like fully stuffed hiking backpack than I was bringing in my luggage to the point where my boss was like, I have an extra Hawaii suitcase. Please take this because you need to stop coming in the office. But, but that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Like I think everyone I talk to, and these are people who will plan, you know, every trip with like a million restaurant recommendations. They'll plan every outfit. They'll like switch hotels so that they can try different ones that they've seen on Instagram. And they'll show up on the trip, and it's like a duffel bag that they found in their mom's basement or um, a bag that was given to them on an internship as like part of the swag. And I, I just thought that was really interesting how this was just a market that really didn't have the brand or design or kind of like storytelling that it really deserved. I feel like every suitcase I had before my away bag my parents had either bought for me or I had taken off my parents. <laughs> like I'd never actually bought a suitcase for myself as like a grown adult woman that like works for a travel magazine. <laughs> I'd never bought a suitcase. It was a real eye-opening moment for me where I was like, wait, this is actually like a nice thing to own and it looks really pretty and like I feel good using it. Yeah, totally. it's really interesting to us to think about how many, you know, we've sold over 500,000 suitcases and we're all trying to figure out how many of those people would just have not bought a suitcase at all, like would just keep using whatever hand-me-down or whatever random thing they were given. So it's exciting to think about how we're actually not just taking market share, but expanding the market. And so at the beginning, right when you started out, because you have this idea and you're like, okay, we want to fix this thing. What, what then? What was the next step? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of blocked out. Um, <laughs> no, it was um, it was actually really interesting because I think we were in a very lucky position where I think a lot of times people come up with an idea and they have you know they find a, someone to partner with and and a lot of times like you're in a job and you have to think about like is it worth quitting my job to pursue this idea to be like a founder and entrepreneur and I had just wrapped up my last job in London Steph was in business school so we were both kind of in this very like free flowing oh let's just look into it let's see what happens and before we knew it we were at a luggage trade show in Vegas pretending to be luggage buyers and just like seeing what was up and how much things cost. Um, and then that, you know, we like did a little bit more research. We talked to some people. Then all of a sudden we were in China in between, you know, Seth's finals looking for factories. And, and this whole time we were just like, let's just see. And then it started to get more real when we, when we raised money. Um, we raised our, our first seed round, which was uh, $2.5 million. And we're like, okay, well, this is like a real business now. We have we're like hiring designers, we're, we're making prototypes, like we signed on with a factory, we did all these things. But I think because we didn't really have to make that yes or no decision overnight, it really like let us 
build up a passion for this thing and, and realize that we were the team to do this and that we were excited to do it. In those early stages of asking for funding and kind of working through the like creative process, what do you feel like were the biggest challenges as a team of two women in an industry that, you know, the travel industry is sometimes primarily headed up by men in suits? Yeah, well, let me tell you that luggage trade show in Vegas was... Um, we were the youngest people there by at least 40 years um, and everyone was in suits. So I think it was, it's a very, it is a very traditional market. I think the incumbents are very traditional. Not a lot has happened in the luggage industry. I mean, I think in the last few years, there's been a lot of activity, but I think one of the best and worst things about Steph and me is that we were a little bit oblivious to that stuff and maybe purposely so, but I think we were very much, we really just thought we could do it. And, and every problem that came our way, we're just like, okay, how do we fix it? Or or this is solvable. You know, when we were fundraising, everyone says like getting a no is the hardest part. Like the second an investor told us no, we were like, okay, cool, on to the next one. And that the, the no's for us were way better than the people who were like dragging their feet and saying they might invest and things like that. So I think, you know, we always had it in our heads that we were gonna do it. Even now, even with all the success so far, there's roadblocks every single day and we're just always problem solving. So I think that mentality and that kind of confidence has, has been really helpful. And I think with a lot of women starting businesses, it is that confidence that's the key piece because I think it's hard for everyone. It's not just hard for women, it's hard for men too. And, and it's about that mentality of like solving the problems that come your way. I feel like when we talk about these roadblocks, the biggest one that comes to my mind is this like transition we're having in and out of smart luggage right now. So, you know, with all of the changes that airlines have been making and the decisions that have been made with lithium batteries and things like that, you know, you guys switched over and have pop outs now and are changing over the original like OG suitcases are now being flipped to that pop out battery system. But how are you guys like staying on top of all that and staying ahead of people that have failed because they couldn't keep up with these changes that were a key part of how they started out as a design? Yeah, and, and to just add a little more context to that for people who aren't familiar with it, it's um, our carry-on sizes have a built-in battery that you can remove. And the older models, you could remove it from the inside, but you needed a screwdriver. And actually, pretty early on, before all of the airline changes, we had actually looked at that design and said, there has to be a better way to do this and started developing the design with like with the pop-out battery from the outside. And also it allows people to take the battery with them to their seat and it's, it's, just, a, it's just a better design. Um, so we actually rolled that out right before all of the airlines started saying, hey, you can't, you have to take out your lithium ion batteries before you board. And um, so to a lot of people, it looked like it was just like an overnight change. All of a sudden the, the bags that we were selling had this pop-out battery, but it was something that we had been working on for a while. I think the timing actually just worked for us. That wasn't fun, but we also didn't see it as a roadblock. We um, we were like, okay, this is this thing where we can't actually control what the airline regulations are. We have really good relationships with all the airlines. We were in, in constant contact with them, but they're so siloed. They're so big. Like no one knows what's going on that we were like, the best thing we can do is roll out this new product that we've been working on and make it right for the first customers who really believed in us and really bought the product ahead of all of this. And, and for us, you know, that's something that we invested time and resources into like that, that costs money. But for us, we are like, 
these people have supported us since the beginning. They believed in our product. We made an improvement to it. So we also want to give them that improvement. And I think for us, it's about that customer relationship and, and using that, what could have been a disaster and like a total crisis for us and using that to show our customers how much we care about them. There's nothing we could have done to change the regulations. And even when they did kind of change to be more lax and more in our favor, they weren't enforced the same on every flight. There's just like a ton of issues there. So we just, we're just big believers in controlling what we can control. And for that, that's our interactions with our customer. And so when you first had your kind of first prototypes, did the two of you like travel around and fly with them? And like, what were those first trips with the bags like? We got a lot of parts prototypes. So we would spend, um, we used to work in a WeWork and we would spend a lot of time with like wheel prototypes, just like wheeling it across the <laughs> desk. And we're like, there has to be a better way. I like um, that or, also in a WeWork, it's really public. With yeah, these other <laughs> they're like, what are they doing? <laughs> we're like out by the, by, the, by the keg, just like wheeling something and playing with handles. So when you're doing something with a lot of components, like luggage, you're Frankensteining a lot of things together. And just with timelines, we were, we were like, really wanted to get it out. They would put um, our wheels on a bag that that was definitely not ours, just like whatever they had laying around, just so we could see how, how it works. So we did a lot piece by piece, but I remember the very first uh, piece of luggage. We had our, you know, whatever other brand luggage that we, we still traveled with because we didn't make our own yet. And when we got our first prototypes and we had to carry them back because they were like, we wanted to use them for pitching and for press and for investors. So we couldn't actually travel with like the first full babies. And I remember just boarding the planes and we each like carried one. <laughs> um, we like didn't let it touch the ground. It was like wrapped in plastic, which was a little bit absurd. I mean, we had tested a lot of different ones before that. But I remember the first perfect ones we had to hold like they were actual children and they tried to make us check it and I lost it. <laughs> I was like, you have no idea, uh, which, which sounds really sketchy now. But um, They must have been yeah. puzzled. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I think it's crazy to look at in the short amount of time that you guys have been in existence. There's just like how many pieces you guys have right now. I was babysitting the other day and the kid that I was babysitting had like the little her like pint sized version of the suitcase that she was playing with uh, as a two year old. Um, Which one was it? Was it a minion? It was not a minion. It was just a like very chic gray colored mini suitcase. Um, and by the way, we did that for the parents. You know how all kids suitcases have like cartoons and characters and stuff all over them. Like the inside of the kids suitcase is really fun. But we we're like the people who are going to be buying this don't want their kids to have like cartoon bags. Um, so it's really cute to see all these like families with their matching away bags. And you see them in airports. Yeah. I've seen them. How does it feel when you travel now? Because Lale and I have talked about this, how like we'll go to the airport and be like spotted, 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 spotted. We all have the same bag, but they're mm -hmm. all different colors. This is great. Um, different monograms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how do you feel traveling now and seeing what you created out in the world? It's the best feeling. It's my favorite thing. I'm probably on two or three flights a week. So I basically live at the airport. And it's actually been fun because I remember, so there hasn't been a single trip to the airport since we launched the company where I haven't seen an away bag 
which is really crazy. Like the first time I went to the airport after shipping our first suitcase, and it was someone I knew, so it was, it was fine. But it still counts. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And I started doing this thing. I used to do this thing on, on my Insta stories where I would – I would just like take pictures of the bags in the airport. And then it started to get really creepy because there were a lot. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Also, like people are are like, who's that weird girl taking a picture (laughs) of me? But it's so rewarding. And I think, um, you know, I don't actually do this much anymore. Before I used to have time before my flight to talk to people and um, and and like that in-person feedback and seeing how it really just makes people's like trips easier is so rewarding. But I think also it's also really inspiring because if our goal is to have every single person in an airport with like an away travel uniform, which is like the suitcase, like the bag that you put on top of it um, and all the accessories inside it, how do we make it so that you don't feel like you have the same suitcase as everyone. So I think as we start thinking about the future, it's like, how do we customize? How do we personalize things? What are other products we can launch to complement that uniform? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You said before you founded it, you were living in London. And so you'd obviously done some traveling before. Um, Kind of what were your like earliest travel experiences? And then like, how did you get from like there to where you are now? God, my earliest travel experiences. I was really lucky that I grew up with a dad who like really instilled this love of travel in me. And it wasn't actually like that with my whole family. Like my mom and my siblings are very much homebodies and and now they're traveling a lot more, which is fun and exciting. But I think, you know, some of my earliest memories Okay, not my earliest memories, but some of like the most prominent memories where I was like, wow, travel is like a really crazy thing is like I remember um, and this was later in life. So I was in I was in college and I was going through a breakup and I remember just being like, I would do anything to not like to just be away from this right now. And then I was like, wait, I can do something. And I just booked a flight and like six hours later, I was in St. Martin like on the beach by myself and it was (laughs) it was amazing and it was this and it was you know I traveled a ton before then I think by then I'd been to like 30 or 40 countries and I, I was really fortunate to have had those experiences but I think just being able to be like you know if you plan it or, or if you like have the means you can, and I, I actually did not have the means. I was like eating ramen and I like charged, like I found a cheap ticket on JetBlue and charged it on my credit card and I like spent a long time paying it off. But I was just like, you can just be anywhere and, and it can totally change your perspective on things. And I went from feeling like I'm never getting out of bed. I'm never getting over this breakup. Like I'm so broken to being on a beach in a totally different part of the world and like like I could do anything and that was just like a really empowering thing and I think one of the things that my dad taught me when I was growing up is like you know how a lot of people's parents say you can be anything you want to be my dad would always tell me you can go anywhere you want and that didn't mean like a lot of times it was like saving up my allowance or doing like a ton of chores uh to be able to like pay for or he would like make me contribute to trips and stuff but it really just resonated with me and um actually one of my big goals in life was to go to all seven continents and in 2011 I went I wanted to go to Antarctica it was the last one and my dad had actually passed away the year before and we were supposed to go together and my mom was like yeah that's really sweet but I'm not paying for it but but I just I I was working at a startup at the time I'd like saved up every single penny and then I remember being like in Antarctica in a kayak looking at like 
glaciers and icebergs and being like, I can't believe I'm here. Like this was the, it's one of those things that people are like, why would you go there? How do you do it? And it just made me realize that everywhere truly is accessible. And I think that's what we want people to feel like. We want away customers to feel empowered to be able to go anywhere. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Do you feel like the way that you traveled before you started away is different than how you travel now because you're traveling so often now compared to... I imagine probably like more work, less trips. Yeah. <laughs> Instead L- of work Antarctica trips. trips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually, it's so different. So I think before, even, you know, when I was studying abroad and I would try to go to a new place, I actually got into that kind of weird spiral of like trying to collect passport stamps and like trying to tell everyone all the places I was in. It was like a totally different mindset. I felt like I was checking things off a list and those experiences were amazing, but it's, it's just so different from the kind of travel I do now, which is, you know, investor meetings and press trips and store openings and like factory visits. And and those are kind of the same places over and over. And I actually realized um, I keep track of all the flights I've been on this year. I've been on over 100 already and it's and it's July. But I remember like 60 flights in, I realized I hadn't gone anywhere, anywhere new. And before that was my whole thing. I like never repeated places. And and I think it's given me a lot of perspective on not every trip is going to be a once in a lifetime 
destination. Um, like the, the amount of times, like, you know, I go through Heathrow security, <laughs> just I basically live there. But how do we make travel easier no matter what type of trip you're going on? And I think for me, I've come up with a lot of little rituals and I, I bring a lot of things to make myself feel at home. So I'm actually very rarely on vacation, but you know, every trip I take, even if it's just back and forth to LA every other week, I've gotten into the habit of things where it feels really comfortable and, and I feel really good about it. What are some of those rituals? Okay, so I, I'm i always like begging for upgrades, but even when I don't get them, I'm like, how comfortable can I be in this seat? So I'm a big fan of in-flight facials. And I used to get really embarrassed, but I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to see these people again, except for when I do. Um, <laughs> it's also like, think how terribly some people behave on the plane. Yeah, like, not, you just not, have a sheet mask on. Yeah, like, really I'm not barefoot. I'm not annoying. I'm just like quietly in my cocoon with a sheet mask. But I have this whole like skincare. I like before I get on any plane, I take off all my makeup. I like put on all my hand sanitizer. I have everything in a bag. Um, we make an everywhere bag. It sits on top of your suitcase. I just put that under the seat in front of me. I will never be one of those people like gets up and gets their suitcase out in the middle of a flight and is like digging through it in the aisle. Um, so I'm like very prepared. Like everything I need for the flight is in this little bag. Like I have snacks and people are like, well, there's food on planes. Well, one, it's disgusting. And two... <laughs> It's like you're not getting served that food if you're stuck on the tarmac for three hours, which like weirdly happens to me a lot. <laughs> so I think it's just little things like that, like being really comfortable. Like I have a really cozy pair of like cashmere travel socks that I just put them on. And I'm just like I'm just like in my own like little spa bubble, even if I'm in like seat 50E. So it's things like that. Like when I I, I stay in a lot of hotels, I bring a sound machine because there's a lot of noises in hotels. And, um, and and I think that's I have a sound machine at home. So it's just like, what do I do at home that I can bring with me? Even the m- most minor thing, like always having all the toiletries I use at home are the ones that I bring with me. I'm not going to be like, I used to be like, oh, well, hotels have shampoo. And like the last thing you need when you're like, going from meeting to meeting is being like, what is in my hair? Like, I feel really weird. And it's it just, for me, the name of the game is just about being as comfortable as you can, even when you're not home. And so when you, you know, you're traveling to all these kind of cities and hubs and it's for work and when you're on a work trip, like it is hard to like see much of a place. How do you find kind of like moments to just like be there and just even if it's just for like an hour, like to just experience a slice of that place? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm really lucky where the places I go for work are places that I've been to a lot and also places where I've used used to live. So London, LA, I never lived in Hong Kong, but I've, I have a lot of friends there. So it's like, it's nice to know that if I have a free afternoon or something, I can just pop in and do something, but actually just, just crowdsourcing. Like, I think this is like the one thing left that Facebook is good for. You can just literally ask if I have one hour in this place, what could it be? I've learned to never ask hey, I'm going to Atlanta. Like, what are your recommendations? Because everyone will give you everything. And I think if you ask people, like, if you tell people, I only have one hour, what should I do? You get some really interesting answers that way. And that's what I try to do. So if I'm going somewhere that I've never been, you know, like I was, I went to Cambodia for the first time for work. We shot a commercial there. And I said, I only have one day. What should I do? And I got like a really good curated list of recommendations because there's so much out there. It's like such information overload. So really like compressing that time helps. 
I'm going to do that. (laughs) Great tips. I feel like when we've talked about this off the podcast before, but I think that when you work in the travel space and this is kind of like a niche problem, um, air quotes there, it's hard to like turn off that mindset of like, I need to like be paying attention and I need to be like looking at all the suitcases in the airport and I need to be like seeing what everyone's doing. And for us, it's like, okay, you're at a restaurant, but I need to like be looking at how everyone's like interacting with their food and like talking to each other. And like, this could be a story later or like this could be something that I need to know and be observant about. Do you ever feel like you need to like turn that part of your brain off or is it always just that eye for what people are doing with their bags and all that kind of stuff on the road is is always on? It's always on, but I I don't think I see it as work necessarily. I think I see it more as like I love people watching and I'm I'm really fortunate that that kind of weird, creepy side of me um, just like pays back in dividends because it's, it's actual real insights on how people travel, how people interact. And I think all of us are really lucky that it can turn into work. I mean, I don't think I ever set out being like, okay, I'm going to go to the airport early and just like observe these things. But you get most of your inspiration and um, and most of your aha moments just, just from things happening around you. So, you know, I don't think like I go out of my way to see what happens, but you see some like crazy stuff when you're traveling or just like people who, I, I don't know how, no, ma- no matter what, I always end up behind someone who's like literally never gone through security before. And it's just interesting to see their perspective. So, so I mean, all of those things that, they're not necessarily things I like take back to the team and, and are like, we have to work on this, <laughs> but I, it's really good insight for problems we do want to solve down the line. And when you guys are, when you're talking about aha moments, you guys have had so many like really interesting and out of the box collaborations. I think like the NBA suitcase that felt like a basketball was probably the one I loved the most um, because it was so unexpected. You know, where do those connections come from and how do you guys kind of ideate these collabs that I feel like are not what you would expect from a luggage brand? So one thing I noticed when we were when we were looking at not even just luggage brands but travel in general is I discovered this weird little travel bubble and I'm sure you guys can speak to this more than I do but it's like just travel writers and travel bloggers and travel editors and like the points guy and <laughs> and like all of these things that this like this community of like very intense travelers and I think a lot of the marketing around luggage and all of that stuff really revolved around making that community happy. But then it was like very insular, like they all just talked to each other. And I think for us, we just took such a wide approach to it. We are like, when you go to the airport, the amount of people like reading these forums or like reading these very specific things is, is a lot smaller than the people that we're trying to go after who are just, you know, going on trips for work, for play, for bachelorette parties, for weddings, whatever. And we took a really different approach to marketing. I think for us, it was more about like the storytelling of travel, but realizing there's so many different types of travel and so many different types of travelers. I think at its core, travelers today have like the same needs in terms of functionality. But the way we approach collaborations is like, you know, there's different groups of people and different audiences that we're trying to reach. And we kind of look at different verticals and we're like, okay, in this vertical, 
who's like an amazing person or an amazing brand that people love and, and people follow and how do we tie that back to travel and I think that's allowed us to come up with some really exciting collaborations like the NBA which you mentioned there's actually like a huge like cohort of people who travel for games and like follow their teams and also just people who like both travel and the NBA like it's like a Venn diagram. And just like basketball. <laughs> yeah. And then also we we launched it during a weekend where um, everyone is traveling to L.A. for the All-Star game. So so I think travel is a nice like thread that, that ties everything together. And when we look at collaborations, we look at reaching the people who are kind of committed to the people we're collaborating with. And it gives us a lot of different perspectives. Like I think um, someone said to me, it's really crazy. You guys are one of the only brands who could collaborate with the NBA and the Minions and Star Wars and Carly Kloss, like all in one year. It's just, but w- without it feeling crazy, it's because all of those, we can tie back to travel somehow and reach a new audience. And it's like a really exciting way to just get new products out the door. Do you have a favorite? Mm, I mean, they're all, they're, they're you know, like, like children. Like you can't say yeah. your, which your favorite <laughs> yeah. kid is, which my mom's is definitely not me. So <laughs> I think the, the last one that we do is always my favorite. We just launched one with, with Dwayne Wade, which is exciting because I think, you know, obviously people think of him as a basketball player, but he has so much going on and he travels so much. I mean, he is on a plane like every day and, and we really took that lifestyle angle to it and got to make some really elevated products, which is, which is exciting. And we have, another drop of his products coming out soon. For me, collaborations are really fun because we get to test like new silhouettes and new styles and, and see how they do. And and we did some really cool stuff for Dwayne's next drop. This question like ties back to an earlier conversation, but I meant to ask it before. You might not be able to remember. I only ask because I can remember mine. What was your first suitcase? My first suitcase? It was actually um, this DVF rolling duffel. And I thought it was so chic and, and it, it was, I was, I think I got it because I had an internship like out of state. So I had to get my first suitcase and I think I went to like some discount store to buy it. And it was like a, it was so impractical. It was like a duffel bag that had snaps on the sides, but it also had wheels. But the way I packed it, it would always tip over. It couldn't stand up. But I remember I just that was the first time I bought a suitcase. Before that, I had, you know, just like whatever was laying around my parents' house. But it's so crazy that I never like for me that was a, that was a big purchase, and I think I still have it actually. <laughs> <laughs> what was yours? Um, well, it was bought for me by my parents, and I was about six, and it was a little Hello Kitty wheelie duffel thing. It was very small. It was- Oh, that's so cute! I always see, I always see kids like I like. I don't remember what I had when I was I think I just, younger. I think my parents just like carried stuff for me. I, I just like <laughs> just imagining them with like armfuls yeah. of your possessions, just like, like a sack, my, my tiny little clothes just in yeah. the pouch somewhere. I feel like so. I still have my first suitcase, and it's not the like brown and blue. Jansport bags that mm-hmm. I still have. I, they just are like stuffed underneath my bed. Um, but I had a Vera Bradley Paisley, very, very small quilted duffel that mm-hmm. had like a matching job kit that both had my initials on them. <laughs> did so you like have everything the, was monogrammed? <laughs> did you have the matching straightener cover, like the flat iron? Uh huh. 
Yes, I did. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, I did. (laughs) It's amazing because I have to straighten my hair and then put it in my bag. (laughs) So obviously, it needs to go in a cloth cover. (laughs) So user friendly. (laughs) We did objects. Yeah, it's it was not super logical, but yeah, I still have it. It's been. I have a lot of sorority sisters. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The straps have been repaired twice. It's it's like a two dayer. Like you cannot pack like anything unless you have child size clothes. And you have to fit your straighteners in it. (laughs) No, it took up so much space. But it's just really crazy. Like all all these stories, people travel so much with these things that are not actually functional, and like we're huge on that functionality. So I'm trying to find the kind of marriage between I mean obviously everything says like form and function but real fashion and function because I have so many amazing handbags that I've quote unquote invested in and then you know they're beautiful and you open it and it's like just a pit there's like there's no interior pockets there's like it's totally useless (laughs) like it doesn't it's like all slouchy but anything that's functional ends up being like super technical or like very sporty. And we, I think what what we're trying to do with our products is like get all of the functionality in, but still make a really beautiful bag, um, which we're excited to be doing with like all of our new soft goods that we've launched this year. The only reason why I so clearly remember my Hello Kitty bag is because at Heathrow Security, when we were like off on a family holiday, we like, you know, went through everything. And then me, I, me and my dad were like getting sandwiches in some like duty-free cafe. And suddenly there was an announcement saying a Hello Kitty bag had been left at security. And we had to like bolt back to get it and then bolt to the plane, board. And then we sat down, we realized we hadn't paid for our sandwiches. Oh no. We just, just, we just robbed the place. <laughs> Some stolen sandwiches. And <laughs> exactly. Kitty yeah. It's a middle-aged man, eight-year-old <laughs> child, <laughs> running through the airport with Hello Kitty and and stolen sandwiches. Yeah. It, was, it was the nineties. It, <laughs> it was a different time for sure. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. I know people probably want to keep up with your travels because you're on the roads often. So, where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm at Jennifer on Instagram and away is at away. So. What an Instagram handle. Can we just talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> at what point did you like steal for everyone else at Jennifer? I actually, so actually tw- I'm also at Jennifer on Twitter, which I was just very early there. Like that's just me being an early adopter. But I did use that as leverage to get um, at Jennifer on Instagram. on Instagram. I, I remember emailing them. I mean, this is also years and years ago, but I was like, um, I'm at Jennifer on Twitter and this account is inactive. <laughs> so I would like <laughs> yeah. to take control. Amazing. <laughs> well, you can find a bunch of stories um, and keep up with the, what Away is doing on cntraveler.com. Lale, where can people find you? Lale, we didn't record last week because Lale was hopping around um, Los Angeles and San Francisco for her birthday. And Big Sur. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Great. You can, uh, like, you know, and check as out. listeners know, I can't drive. I was driven <laughs> along the Pacific Coast Highway. Most beautiful birthday present. Is it open again? Yes. It oh, was like amazing. the second day it was open and it was absolutely incredible. It was amazing. But you can check out her Big Little Lies moments and everything at... Lale Hanna on Instagram. And I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. Lale and I are planning podcasts for the rest of the year. And if you have any ideas or people you want us to talk to or things you want to hear, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. See you soon. Life doesn't come with an instruction manual. 
but the Life Kit Podcast gets you pretty close. Whether we're helping you tackle life-altering questions or just your everyday pickles, we've got deeply human solutions to your deeply human problems. Listen now to the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.